0: After trekking and sweating in 37 degree heat for two hours, three leeches, and one sighting of a three meter long giant cobra later, we finally arrive at our stop. A widening in the river known as the lake, as it is unaccessible by boat. Unsurprisingly, we are the only people here. Hashtag Cambodia. Welcome to the Roaming the Earth podcast. I am your host, Drea Castro, and I am here with Whitney Saldava. Whitney is a true world citizen born in a small Eastern European country of Latvia and now living and working all over the world. She speaks six languages and has lived in six different countries. Now residing in the UK. For the first half of her career, she worked as an international news journalist covering news stories all around the world. At the moment, she works as a communications officer at NATO by day, and as a career advisor and a master's student at Harvard University by night. Hi, Whitney. Oh, so nice to uh, so nice to be talking to you. for um, <laughs> so nice having nice. me here. First question I have for you: I checked out your Instagram. You're traveling all the time. You're a jet setter. Can you share with us why you've been drawn or called to roam the earth? So
1: I think my story starts way before myself, because um, my my mom and my grandmother, they grew up uh, in the Soviet Union. So having lived in the Soviet Union under the Iron Curtain, where you can't really travel, you're not allowed to go further than certain boundaries, it was it was very difficult for people to accomplish those kind of dreams. But even then, my grandmother, she is a jet setter as well, and she prides herself of you know, in in 50s and 60s, having traveled to every single uh, Soviet republic. Uh, there is, and especially it 's especially impressive because she didn 't come from the big cities like Moscow with money. She came from the tiny, tiny little village in Latvia that was then absorbed you know by by the Soviet Union. She has always told me, "Go and explore, you will have time to make your private life, you will have time to make your family life. go and explore while you can and that really inspired me, and I also feel a bit indebted to my mom. Because she had me when she was only 20 years old. And since then she's had five other, well, there are six of us, uh, in in six siblings in the family. So my parents have been very busy and they haven't had that time to travel. So I thought, you know, I am going to do it for them in a way. Wow. So it just like runs in your blood. It runs in your family. (laughs) And and I'm not the only one. My brother is... uh, you know, I'm starting to think that he's becoming a more crazy traveler than me. I was able to pride myself on being the traveler of the family. But um, he's been to really crazy destinations. He's cycled from, uh, from Riga to Moscow on a highway by himself in winter. He did get hit by a truck and uh, woke up in the hospital. That didn't stop him.
0: It runs in the blood, the whole travel bug. <laughs> yeah, definitely. How many countries have you been to? So I've been to 62. 62?
1: Mm-hmm. Holy moly. You know, the way I pick the countries is not how normal people pick the countries. I, you know, it, it. I hadn't been to Paris, for example, or France until 2018 or 2017 or something. However, I had been to countries like North Korea. I always think of myself, I should go to these countries now because when will I go to them again? Am I going to go on a crazy Africa journey uh, when I'm... 70 years old? No, I can go to Italy then, but I want to explore the cool
0: countries now. Yeah. And I even have a little tattoo of a world map. Oh my gosh. I love it. She has a tattoo of a world map on her wrist. Amazing. Uh, it's so funny because that's how I pick travel. If you look at the places that I've gone, I usually pick like, I'm going to rough it in Peru, or I'm going to yeah. go climb around Mount Everest and Nepal. Like I specifically choose places that I'll travel to while I don't have kids or a family. (laughs) Because when you have a family or when you're older, you can't do those kind of, you know, crazy trips where it's dangerous. So you love to travel solo too. So can you talk about why you decided to travel solo? What was that solo journey like? And how did you come to that decision? I think my solo travel started um, very, very early. And uh,
1: this is usually like a little pub quiz I I do for my dates if i ever go on a first date or so i would always ask them you know when we're getting to know each other i'm like hey when let's guess guess things about each other when do you think i went on my first solo trip and they would say something like oh 21 you know and i was like no um like 18 i was like no 14 no my first solo trip when was when i was seven seven i was just walking past a poster somewhere on the street and it said trip to Finland's, um, Finland's water park. And I was like, Finland? Water park? I really want to do this, mom. <laughs> like, I um, want to go. Exactly. And I guess she was just happy to get rid of me for a, for a week over summer. Um, so she contacted these people. It was sort of a trip for teenagers, so I was the youngest one there. And most kids would go with their parents, but I would just go on my own and it was like a group uh, bus, you know, it was very popular to travel by bus in, uh, in the 90s. And you just meet people there. So I just met other parents that were acting as my parents and um, it was all fine. They were all taking care of me. So the whole group was taking care of me.
0: Oh, wow. What an experience. You mentioned that you went to North Korea. I want to yeah. hear about that trip. What was that like? How was that? Ooh.
1: It was more genuine than I thought it would be. It was more authentic than I expected. Because a lot, what a lot of people say is, oh, you won't see the real North Korea. You'll only see the show. And it's true. You go there with a group. You can't go there on your own unless you pay a lot of money. So I joined a um, group with Lupine Travel, which was back then a small travel agency only focusing on, on North Korea and there were about eight of us in the group and we took the train in. So we actually, instead of flying, we all met at the Chinese border and then we took the train in and uh, joined up with a local guide. It's true that there's a lot of the show being put on for us as as tourists and sometimes we would drive past in a bus and um, the tour guide would stop talking. She would talk all the time, all the time for, for us not to look out the window it was so obvious that when she stopped talking and she turned out of the window just to observe the people working the fields, and it was so fake. If the people were, you know, playing accordions and waving flags, <laughs> yes, this is how we're working the fields. Are you serious? They know, I guess they know when the tour bus is coming, and they sort of activate this group of actors. They're not fooling anybody. That's the cool thing, is that you see through the show. It's so obvious that actually...
0: It's amazing. What made you decide to go there? Like, why were well, you like, North Korea? Like, that's where I'm going. <laughs> well, um, I was, I back then I used to live in
1: Moscow. I was a journalist there. And I thought, before I leave Moscow, I want to do this epic trip of the Trans-Siberian Express. Okay, well, where does that end? Where does the Trans-Siberian end? And for me, I planned out a route that ends in China. But why end in China if you could go to North Korea? So that why was not? Really- A very natural extension: train travel all through Russia, Mongolia, China, and then into North Korea. I thought North Korea is a great continuation of a crazy trip.
0: (laughs) You're crazy. I think you're crazier than me. I thought I was the craziest person when I go travel. Like people, like, oh, Drea, why are you going there? But you are far more crazier. I try. I try. I try. (sighs) That's why we're gonna get along. Tell me about any interesting experiences that you had while you were in North Korea. Did you meet anybody that was interesting? Did you see anything that was interesting? And what, like, what did you take away from that trip? I
1: think in a lot of ways, North Korea is is somewhat like Moscow. Maybe a couple of decades ago, the metro is very similar. The people are equally sad and serious. Um, however, really? it's, it's in a it's a very oppressive state. And actually, we. me and two Icelanders who were there um, as tourists, however, they call themselves tourists, however, they were actually making a documentary about North Korea. So obviously I paired up with them to go and do crazy things. They had done a lot of research. I didn't do that much research about places we'll be staying and there's only one hotel in the capital where tourists are allowed to stay and it's on a peninsula. It's on a little island, uh, even an island, connected by a bridge.
0: So you can't get off it. I'm just so shocked right now listening to you like... You mean you can't get off this island like they make you go to the hotel you're not allowed like what can you walk around the island <laughs> um not really no you
1: shouldn't really leave the hotel once they bring you back after a day of activities say you've been you went to the circus um and you saw you know you went to see the statues etc the, uh, and then if, when they bring you back to your hotel you're meant to stay at the hotel In Icelandic guys they had read that apparently in this hotel, since it's full of foreigners, they have a spy, something to do with spies, like an espionage, espionage floor, okay? So apparently it's on floor five. And, and that's why uh, apparently there isn't a, a button five in the elevator. And at first I didn't believe them. I thought, these are just stories. But when we got to the elevator, the elevator for the guests, actually there was no button five. It was just floor four and floor six. Oh, my God! This is strange! And we lived on floor fourteen, so it was nowhere near us, so we thought, okay, well, we're going to explore we're going to explore this hotel. We're going to find floor five and um so one of the evenings, we just set out and um we tried to take the normal elevator. It didn't bring us to floor five. We tried to take one floor up, one floor down, but as soon as we enter that floor, there are already guards in front of the door, and there's no stairs to get to floor five so that's pretty impossible. So we kind of gave up the idea. But the next morning, just before we had to check out, we saw that the staff uh, elevator, where the clean that the cleaners use, um, we we just oh look, there's a door open towards the staff elevators, and we thought, well, why not take a look? So we just took a look, and went, oh my god, oh my god, floor five, it's there, it's there. So obviously, the three of us get inside this elevator. We go to floor five and. The door opens and it's just a tiny little, I guess, a waiting room with two doors on either sides. Just a huge infrared camera right in front, right in our faces as soon as the elevator opens. So you can't really escape it. We kind of like peek out and before the elevator leaves, we sort of put in our arms so the elevator doesn't close. The elevator actually started squishing one of my friend's hands and drove away. We're like, okay, let's just let's just call the elevator again. You can go to floor five, but you cannot go away from floor five. You can't call it to floor five. We were trying and trying. And first we were trying to hide our faces from the camera as if there are that many foreigners. But later... We were so desperate. We started, you know, banging on the doors and we heard some people shouting on the other end, you know, like armed guards. And and then we started waving at the cameras. They sent the elevator to us when they noticed that we're in this waiting room. We're like, okay, we get in the elevator, we press 14, 14, let's go back to our floor. That's not how it works. We don't control the elevator. I mean, what are you talking about? The elevator just goes straight to the basement. Uh, In North Korea, we were very aware that we broke the rules by going in staff elevators Um, But we were of course not stupid. So I quickly deleted all the videos of my camera. This uh, Icelandic guy, he actually hid the videos. He hid the card and replaced it with another card Obviously, they can't know these things. You know, they don't know how many cards you have etc. Right. Oh my god You guys are crazy. And then they brought us down to the basement and started questioning us. It was, it was quite scary, I have to say. And, you know, we said, oh, I thought I pressed, you know, nine. They knew exactly what we were doing, but they couldn't prove it because we didn't have any pictures or we didn't have any, anything that we've done there. But I do think we probably got our tour guide in, in, in trouble. And this is, this is something that kind of hurts uh, to know because you don't know how she's treated afterwards. You know, she was then blamed for not watching after her tourists, et cetera. So while it was fun and games for us, I, I do think she got in trouble, and I definitely saw her being told off by these
0: guards later. Oh, my so god, So I do feel very bad. That is crazy. I can't believe you guys aren't arrested. Yeah, it didn't get to that's, that. It, but I, I, I think it could. It definitely could have. Oh, my gosh. I'm so... That's crazy. That's a crazy... First of all, crazy you went to North Korea. Second of all, crazy you went on a spy journey. <laughs> I mean, given that they have arrested people for stealing
1: a poster from the the metro, I'm pretty sure that anything could have happened by us
0: trying to sneak into secret rooms, you know? know. Oh, oh my gosh. So wait, tell me about what they knew about Floor 5.
1: So they said that apparently, because there are a lot of foreigners... There um, are cameras in every room, or uh, voice recorders, etc, that monitoring that are monitoring all your movements and trying to gather intelligence, because we were allowed to bring in our computers for some reason. Uh, we were allowed to bring them in. It's just that there's no signal or Wi-Fi to use them, but we're allowed to bring them in, which makes me think, why do they allow us to bring in these computers? Do they want to gather information from them, or are they listening into our conversations? And that does seem, and apparently this floor five has all this intelligence gathering cell. So everything feeds into it. So there's just a bunch of computers and analysts sitting there, a bunch of spies, trying to analyze all the information that's being recorded at the hotel. And that's why it's also in the middle, you know,
0: to kind of record top and bottom floors. I'm just so shocked that you you would have the balls to go i'm going to go to floor 5 like i'd be i'd be like no no floor 5 i don't want to get arrested in north korea there's something to be
1: said about the fact that i am from latvia which is a very non offensive country for most um, for most right. other countries um right. you know if, if for example if i was an american male i don't think i'll be so i'd be so lucky
0: yeah like if i went there i'm american they'd be like what's going well, on at
1: least, at least you're a girl and they would probably just you know i mean i could just i was just pretending i'm stupid and uh this card does work whenever i get in trouble in places like russia and like china and like north korea yeah they, you know, those stereotypes are very much still alive in those countries and if you need to stay alive then maybe you should exploit that
0: i went to china and i was crossing i was on a stopover in tibet coming from nepal they nice. my, yeah. I, I had a, my passport. They were, you know, you know, you have to come into China. You have to go through wherever and then keep going wherever you need to go, but you need to stop there. And they check everything and they open up my passport and they went, why did you go to Turkey? <laughs> I'm like, uh. They're like, you've been to Turkey. Why? Why? Where, where were you born?" And they were asking me all these questions and I just played stupid. I was like, uh i had a stopover in turkey even though i stayed in turkey i was just like it's just a quick little thing like it was just a day or something and they let me go but they were totally questioning me and they wouldn't let me through it was such an interesting experience because i've traveled and i've never been stopped but i've also never been to china so that was my first experience have Um, you been to israel no i i would love to go to israel that's like one is it like that
1: if you think that they questioned you in China, wait until you go to Israel, because I almost wasn't, I think I almost wasn't allowed to leave because I got to the airport two hours in advance, but all these checks took three hours almost. They were looking through my passport and asking about every single trip, who I was with, why did I go there? And as if I said, you know, I've just gone there for, for a trip, and then they put a red sticker on, on my passport and sent me to the separate queue, for my case to be reviewed further, they're specially trained to, to, to get you to be nervous and to tell them the truth, whatever they want you to say, I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you did go to North Korea. You know? <laughs> I'd be like, why did this girl go, to, go to North Korea? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I totally understand. What is your most meaningful or memorable place that you've been? I would
1: say my top three places are, uh, or top four. I couldn't. I couldn't choose. Um, one of them is Estonia. It is an absolutely fantastic weekend getaway. Tallinn is an. It, I mean, I hate this expression, uh, a hidden gem, but it is a hidden gem, especially in winter. It has the best rated in Europe Christmas market. It's absolutely magical. They have these little old pharmacies and these little you know it's everything's medieval and spas and just the snow and everything's very cheap and you get to eat these viking meals like an elk soup it's so lovely so that's one place another place that i absolutely loved was georgia the food oh my god the food was so good wherever you went you could just go on a on a simple cafe like a Uh, chain restaurant on the main square and you'll be eating some really great food and The people were so lovely and they were making their own wine and it was just a great trip And then I think the third place um, was Israel. I did like it a lot I'm not very religious, but there's always something some curiosity in me So going there actually allowed me to explore my religiosity and see how and just to see in the eyes of history you know, I just looked straight into the eyes of history itself. It was super fascinating. But I think one country that I would want to tell you a bit more about, and it's so funny that you read that caption was Cambodia because it was a magical trip. And I discovered some amazing places. Um, uh, do you want me to give you some tips uh, for Cambodia?
0: Yes, for sure. For sure. So,
1: so number one, um, I took... A yoga course it was like a yoga retreat called Hari Haralaya and it was absolutely incredible you leave your phone at the door for the whole five seven days however long you stay there and you only eat vegan every night there are song and dance and then meditations and the best part of this yoga retreat is that it's right next to CM Reap which is where all the t- beautiful temples are and you can also go for sunrise uh, yoga on the temple or oh you can God. just go by yourself and do yoga at the temples it's absolutely magical and you can get bicycles they give you bicycles to ride around little villages it's just wow wow
0: <sighs> that sounds amazing i i've always wanted to go to cambodia i actually um so I've been in front and behind the camera. I'm a producer and I'm, I've am i also acted in front of the camera. And I actually played a Cambodian character a few years ago. So I did a bit of research on the culture and who uh, this character was. And, and just I, I'm dying to go. So hearing your recommendation is just lovely. We've talked about how you like to solo travel a lot. Like, why is that? Like, I'm not like I need to travel with somebody. I've traveled alone and it's great and there's benefits to it, but usually I'll end up like making a friend on the way. And that's just how I travel. So it's interesting to me when I meet somebody that's like, nah, like I want to travel by myself and I want to know why.
1: Well, I guess, first of all, I work with people in my everyday job and I'm always talking to somebody. I work in communications or in journalism. So I'm all, I'm, i I'm sort of expected to be curious and and engaging with others in my everyday life so when i'm when I'm not working, I just like to explore my own world um and just soak it in, read a book perhaps, and sit down or just journal. My ideal travel day would be something like ride a bicycle around the local village, sit in a cafe, drink a local beer as you read a book or journal by yourself.
0: And there's warmth coming from everywhere. And you have like maybe three beers, I guess, you know, once in my life, I'm going to go on a solo travel trip as an adult. And then I'm going to do that. I'm gonna ride a bike, go to a cafe, <laughs> chill yeah. and relax. Yeah, it's, it's
1: not for everybody. I would say if I'm out there for um, experiences and maybe doing something active, I wouldn't want to do that alone because you want to share that. But if I'm there just to relax and uh, solo travel is, is, is good, I guess now that I am uh, a little bit more grown up, um, no, no longer in my 20s, I've hit my 30 um, last year. And actually, today is my birthday.
0: Uh, <gasps> happy birthday! Tomorrow. 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 Oh, tomorrow. But still, okay. happy
1: birthday! <laughs> Uh, I can't remember because I, you know, it's it's all a blur these days uh, during COVID. Tuesday's Wednesday and Wednesday Tuesday. Tuesday. Um, but um, so I'm turning 31 tomorrow. And I guess now that with age, <laughs> I do start to appreciate traveling with a partner or with one friend. But trust me, all my friends and, and my partner, they're equally crazy. So uh, we do get up to the same kind of things I would do on my own.
0: Uh, It's just that it's more fun together. I did go once on a solo travel to to Joshua Tree. It's like local, it's somewhere that's close, Mm -hmm. and I decided that I was going to go out there. And there is something to be said about just being able to do what you want, not having to worry about anybody, and just being on your own. And then I wanted to go to this, there's this one location on top of the mountains, and you see the whole, like, Palm Springs, you see the whole valley, and it's this beautiful view and I just decided I'm gonna go sit there and do nothing for like however long I want to. So that's you know, that's that's a special, you know, time for yourself that you don't usually get when you're with others because you're worried, you know, worried about what they feel and absolutely and, you know, be considerate of that. So it's nice. <laughs> I get it.
1: I do agree with you. I do agree with you. And I, I think it comes from the fact I don't want to say selfish, but I am a bit selfish in that regard because when I'm traveling you know, I want I want to do what I want to do, and when I'm with other people, it's okay with one. I'm with one other person because you always have enough time to do what both people want to do because there's only two of you. Every single trip when I where I was with more than just me and one other person actually goes at the bottom of the list of my trips you know maybe i'm more like you that i like more extreme choices if w- i were to go out with a group of friends and we were to pick a place to eat or uh s- activities to do it will not be going to a club or lying on a beach it might be going and swimming in ca- in a cave and right. not a lot of not a lot of my friends would choose that
0: right yeah and that's me you know all the way like Lying on a beach. I could only do that for so long. I got to be snorkeling out on yeah. like a weird island or something oh, off the I coast or something like crazy or going on a, in a pirate ship. Like it has to be something a little bit more interesting because I could do that any day here mm-hmm. in California. Like why? You know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> definitely a lot more adventure. So I, I get it. But yeah, it's it's definitely different when you're alone. It's special. It's, it's mm. a different kind of experience. I have to do more of that. And I have to remind myself to just like go off and travel somewhere on my own. That is a good mm-hmm. reminder.
1: <laughs> when, else, when else will you get to do this? If not now, you know, you, you'll be married in no time. You'll have kids and you will never travel alone if you don't do it now. This is how I think. Actually, one more thing I wanted to add about yeah. Cambodia is um, that quote that you read from my Instagram caption that actually came from a lovely place I stayed in called Rainbow Lodge. And whenever I have recommended this place to other people, every single person has come back to me and said two things. Number one, this was the best part of my trip in Cambodia. And number two, and I don't prior to prior to the second point, I don't tell them about this dish. I don't tell them. However, they all say, and oh my God, I tried this dish. And I was like, I know it's coming. The fish curry in a pi- pineapple. So what they do is they have a cut half of pineapple and they mix some pineapple juice and they put in a fish curry caught from the local river in the national park. And they make this fish curry inside the pineapple with pieces of pineapple and It truly is the best dish that I've ever had in my life. And I almost feel like I could just go to Cambodia and go to this jungle lodge, which is an eco-lodge. And it takes several hours to get to because you need to take the bus from Phnom Penh. Then you need to, then you stop in the middle of nowhere uh, on a bridge, take a boat inside the national park, and then you hike for a little bit to get to this lodge. But even I would make this journey just for this
0: curry that sounds amazing i have to go there go get this pineapple crate uh one thing about me i love food like one of the reasons why i love to travel is because i love to taste the local cuisine so knowing that that is definitely if i go to cambodia i'm gonna do this thing question do you need uh, for for since you have to hike in and all that what about your luggage
1: they, they have someone take care of that. They yeah, have basically the people who take you on the boat, they are paid by the hotel. They're not the hotel, the lodge. Uh, and the lodge is owned by, is it Australian or New Zealand too? It's not local. It's not a local lodge. However, they employ all local people to give them jobs in this lodge because there really aren't any other jobs or businesses around. So it's actually really feeding the local community. Um, right. But these two Australian or New Zealand guys... Um, own this place and and they employ local people to carry your bags and to do all this and when you sit and the best part of the about this lodge is they only have 16 bungalows or at least they only had 16 bungalows when i was there a couple of years ago they they did say they were expanding across the river um i'm not sure how it looks now which means that um was it only eight bungalows in any case very few bungalows so a very very small place and it's you feel like it's all to yourself. There's again no signal. There's no electricity unless the solar batteries have generated any. And this is where I interacted with the three meter cobra. And I went on a wild jungle trek where they had to cut open the passage with a machete because it's not really like a, um,
0: a trail. trek trail. Yeah. I need to have that pineapple curry. You I do. need to you taste do. this pineapple curry. That's amazing. Um,
1: actually, there are a lot of interesting travel stories. Um, I have this one friend and she is almost as crazy as me. And whenever we go on a trip together, those are the trips that turn out the craziest. And the very last trip we took doesn't sound too exotic. We went to North Macedonia and uh, Albania. But one of the nights we ended up shooting in the forest Kalashnikovs with local policemen. For fun. (laughs) What? How did that happen? So, um, (laughs) it was completely off-season. It was so off-season that there wasn't a single tourist in the city, the small city of Vlora, where we went. There was absolutely nobody. We were the only tourists in the hotel and the kind of laws seemed really loose in Albania, I have to say you know they were they kept offering us things like weed in our hotel and which was <laughs> extremely funny because i've never had that anywhere you know we didn't we didn't take them up on it because why and then my friend she had looked up a restaurant that tripadvisor apparently said is one of the top restaurants for fresh fish from albania you know just the catch of the day we go to this restaurant it's not even far from our hotel and it is completely deserted there was this one table sitting there of some albanian men and then you know we just come in and it's just just us. So we sit down and we order some wine and we had been quite tired from all the exploring of that day and we had took taken the bus from um, the capital. So we were quite tired. And then just as about we are we're going to pay, the waiter says, Oh no, no, don't worry, don't worry. This has been paid by the by the chef, who's this chef. I mean, he's a very good chef, first of all, because this fish was great. Why would he, you know, buy us our meals? And we're the only clients shouldn't you really you know or well, one of the only clients shouldn't you make money right um, <laughs> hadn't even seen this chef and then he says no 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 i don't mean i don't mean the cook i mean the chef so what he meant is owner of the restaurant and we're like well where is this owner of the restaurant just as we look to the side this group of men we saw at the very beginning turns out is the owner and his friends and they oh, just wow. some, some kind of albanian men in their maybe early 30s late 20s you know young guys young guys oh they're uh, like hey <laughs> yeah they're like hey but they don't speak a word of any other language than Albanian <laughs> they're like <"Ooh."> <laughs> <laughs> I speak a few languages but I do not speak Albanian and they invited us to their table um to have some more wine so we just sat down you know we were chatting well we weren't really chatting I would just say drinking and and sitting there and just kind of laughing at them their attempts to speak english and they we all used google Translate to communicate with each other it was funny we were just having a good time but you know we were just there for a couple of minutes uh, drank a glass of wine and and then they said hey girls it was been so fun through the waiter who did speak some english that apparently they want us to come back the next night at 8 p.m you were like okay And we're a little bit crazy. We are super trusty and it could bite us in the ass one day and we could end up in seriously dangerous situations and and things could, there's so many stories where things could have ended really, really badly and they didn't. The next day, so we show up at eight and they are already waiting. Full table, six or eight Albanian men. Um, They already have a table laid out with the best seafood of the day, the best catches of the day, the best wine. Everything is ready for us, you know. (laughs) We're like, oh god, I don't know what they want from us. You have but, a feast. Uh, So you know, we just sit down and we start laughing and talking. And this chef really fancied me, and the and his friend uh, fancied my other friend. You know, we were just, you know, we we're talking. None of us, they they were too shy to actually make any moves, and we wouldn't, we would have turned them uh, away. Apparently, the chef, the owner, had a real liking to bunnies. So he she, he just apparently upstairs had just crates and crates of bunnies, that like, <laughs> like bunnies. And he just let them out and they're all roaming the restaurant and we just take a bunny. And then, um, How many bunnies? I don't know. Quite a, quite a few bunnies. <laughs> they were very, very cute. But I remember how funny it was that a couple minutes later, his uh, policeman friend comes in. So he had a friend policeman who was like a star policeman in town. And, you know, he, He wasn't like a policeman you'd see in the US or somewhere else. He was wearing all bling-bling, you know, like a Rolex. And you can tell what kind of policeman he is, okay? Um, So anyways, he comes in and, you know, he starts talking to us. And his English is actually pretty good. Um, And he says, girls, uh, I just need to leave my gun on the table. So he just takes out his gun, just puts it on the table. We're like, ooh, can we take a picture? And then we have a bunch of photos of us petting a bunny as we're holding a gun of a local policeman, and then, and then you know, we start talking about guns and, and I said, I told him that I went back in Moscow. I used to try and shoot a lot of guns in the shooting range um, for fun. And uh, But I never had the chance to shoot a Kalashnikov. And he was like, well, girl, I have a Kalashnikov in my house. Shall we go and shoot some Kalashnikov? And we're like, uh, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. <laughs> so basically, we were all so drunk, by the way. We were all so drunk. We got in the car with these six Albanian men, these two girls, la la la, you're going into the woods. They took us in the middle of the forest. There was literally not a single soul around for miles. And then we shot uh, some Kalashnikov of the local policeman. This scenario, when you set it up, you know, two girls and six Albanian men, um, taking them into the forest with guns. It doesn't sound great, but it came out so funny. And I still have these Kalashnikov uh, shells from the bullets um, as a, as a uh, little uh, memorabilia of our uh, funny times in the Albanian forest. But these are just the kind of things that most people would say no to. But right. to me, that's what makes a good trip.
0: I mean, that's what's going to make it memorable, for sure. I've done similar stuff, too, where I've decided that I'm going to go follow this person in the middle of, you know, Morocco, not knowing where I'm going, could be dangerous, I don't know, and then it turns out to be fine, because yeah. yes, there are dangerous stories out there, but I think for the most part, people are kind, and and they, you know, they want to have a good time. So luckily, we've been, you know, we've had good experiences. <laughs>
1: And we've been sort of scared by this, by the media. I used to be a journalist and you, you were a producer, so you know how this works. You know, everything's just sensationalized and they make you believe that the world out there is evil and dangerous, but actually the majority of people are good people and they do want to help you and do want to give you genuine experiences. So I always try to say more yes uh, than no. and. And actually, there's a really good tip. This is a tip for your listeners and tip for any women who travel alone. If you're ever unsure about a person or a group of men or a man who tries to invite you somewhere, before you agree, ask him if you can take a picture with him together. Every single time, and this was not the first time when we trusted people blindly like that. Every single time when these guys or a group of people allow us to take pictures of them together, they are fine. However, there have been instances where they were like, no, no, don't photograph my face. Don't, you know, don't do this. We're like, okay, well, we're for sure not going to hang out with you. But most people who are open to you are in terms of this kind of breaching the privacy in a
0: way and allowing them to be, uh, uh, you know, photographed and... Documenting. Documented. Exactly. That is a great tip. I've never actually thought about that, but thank you. That's amazing. Where are you going next? Like, where are you planning on going on your next trip when COVID-19 is over? I don't know what the situation is over there, but...
1: Actually, this year was supposed to be the year of travel because last year I took a bit of a year off traveling and um, maybe the timing hasn't been right for that because now I'm dying to travel. I mean, times during quarantine, I was crying my eyes out about how much I wanted to travel. I can't even count, you know, five, six, ten um it was it was you know it obviously on a grand scheme of things it is it's it's it's, an, it's not an important issue right but it's just that just that freedom to travel is extremely important to me so i was having a tough time with that and yet i am grateful for the fact that i still have a job and health to actually pursue my travels once this is over i was planning to get to 70 countries visited this year um so i had you know cool trips like hiking in kosovo and smoking shisha in algeria and the romantic trip to bali and all sorts of things like that you know i had planned all of these little adventures um which didn't materialize um and i'm not sure if they will because uh, because of how how this whole situation is going i am scared of the second wave but if it doesn't happen if everything's fine The next trip is going to be an African road trip uh, with local transport only from Morocco through Western Sahara, through Mauritania, through Senegal to the Gambia. And then
0: from the Gambia, fly back. It's so strange because, you know, for people like us, we love to travel so much and it's like part of who we are. And this whole Mm. situation has been so heartbreaking. It's been so hard because we're we have to stay home to serve one another. Right. So it's like, it's such a strange, strange time. And it's been, it's been this roller coaster of like, I'm okay. I'm at home. I'll bake bread, (laughs) you know? And then (laughs) to like, no, like, this is so upsetting. I'm going to cry my face off today because I want to go see my family in London. I want to go do all this stuff and you can't, you know? And it's so strange because every time something major has happened in the world or in my personal life, I've been you know, someone who would just escape somewhere. I would just hop on a plane and then go somewhere and just be like, I don't have to think about that. But that's not the reality. The reality is that for the first time, I think in my life, you really feel connected to everyone. And that's Mm -hmm. what this whole thing has at least taught me. You know, like we're connected.
1: You need to think of someone more than just yourself and your immediate family.
0: Yeah, it's such a strange, strange time. And it's forcing everyone to kind of do what we have to do right now most people
1: anyway as i said i'm pretty lucky to have a job that was that i was able to keep all during uh covid uh and i'm i'm pretty lucky you know in in, that i didn't actually get sick but i do think that probably eventually we will get sick because for now there is no for in the foreseeable future there's no cure or a vaccine or anything like that I think for me I started a lot of new interesting initiatives um like I actually started my YouTube channel for my career advice and I'm now doing a very intensive study course for my degree so I've just kind of done more things than I would normally and I've also really I'm really happy that it's sort of normalized what my evenings mostly are which is at home or you know I'm not an extremely social person like I said Um, so I quite like spending time in my house and all by myself or doing my own projects. So now I'm glad that
0: I'm not the only one because everyone else got to get a gist of that. I mean, that's why I started this podcast because I was like, I'm not doing anything. I got to do something. I got to live vicariously through other people's journey. You know, what's the one interesting item that you take with you when you travel?
1: I don't have an item. However, there is an item that I always buy in every new country I travel to. And this is a non-negotiable for me. And in fact, I won't leave a country or I won't even explore the city or the country I'm I'm at until I get this item. So this will be the first thing I do in any place I visit um, is find a sticker. and, And you would say, oh, that's so easy. However, stickers are very hard to come by. Magnets, yeah, everywhere, you know, postcards everywhere, but when you ask around for a sticker, you need to pop into several shops, and when I was in Vietnam, I couldn't find a sticker, so I had to buy a magnet that I made into a sticker in North Korea, no stickers, just <laughs> just uh, magnets that then again I have to make in sticker, into stickers, etc., and I have this little pink suitcase, um, which has all the stickers from all the countries I've ever been to, it looks absolutely amazing, Um, I do travel less and less with it now because of how much importance this piece of luggage has and I'm a little bit worried of damaging it or damaging my stickers. Um, Actually, I did have it on another suitcase before and um, I had to transfer them. It was, it was a really difficult ordeal to transfer stickers from one surface to another, so there was a lot of damage. However, you know, newer stickers are on top of them now, so it, it looks really lovely, and it's a big project of mine. I absolutely love this suitcase.
0: Ta-da! Oh my gosh! Okay, so for for the listeners, she has this incredible suitcase that's just covered with all these stickers. It's beautifully colored. It's just like so many different places. It's it's just, oh my gosh, yeah, I would be so scared that I would get damaged. It's all your memories. Wow. Exactly. You can't even see the original color through. You can just barely
1: see it in some of the places because of how many stickers there are and you you know even if you do find a sticker sometimes the stickers are just so huge
0: what's the one piece of advice you can give to a younger you
1: this is a tough one because I truly think the younger me did everything right um in a way I think that she was going along her path there was a lot of maybe disbelief that things would happen but she was doing all the right things so I guess what I would tell her is just believe in yourself and keep going don't look to the sides you know don't lose belief in yourself because it will happen and everything all the little mishaps or failures that I thought back in the time actually have turned into huge positives for example When I was younger, I was trying to get an internship at the Associated Press, and the first year I applied, I didn't get it. However, that year, I ended up going to China and teaching English to high school kids for three months, and I met some of my best friends through there, which I'm still in touch with and still my totally best friends, and this is exactly what kind of started my grown-up travel journey, China. So everything kind of happens at the right time. I think that's what I would say. Just don't... Force it. Keep going. Keep keep pushing yourself, but don't push the situation because if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. And something better is meant to be.
0: I love it. Thank you so much, Whitney, for joining me on the Roaming the Earth podcast. Stories and adventures of people who are jet setters, nomads, and explorers. This is Dre Castro signing off. Join us again next time. Stay wild. If you're interested in hearing more stories from around the globe, Don't forget to subscribe, share it to your friends, and follow me on Instagram on I'm Roaming the Earth.